Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have this privilege. Help us in our consideration of your word, in our worship of you, by way of your word. Humble us and encourage us and accomplish your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've heard of this program. I think it's just a Netflix program, and I've only seen it part of it once. It's called Nailed It. And the concept, again, I've only watched a little snippet of it one time, and it was pretty funny. They give you like this cake. They say, all right, here's this cake, and here's how to do this, and they give you all the product, and you try to make that cake, and then you reveal your artwork, and, and nailed it type thing. Um, doesn't usually work out too well from what I understand. So I was looking on, on the internet for some expressions of this nailed it, and I found Olaf. <laughs> I felt bad for Olaf. His nose is broken, and he used, they used like muddied snow and stuff. Olaf is kind of cute. That one's not so much. Now, if I made it, it would look worse than that, I will admit. And then I found this uh, pretty close rendition to Ariel from The Little Mermaid. You can see the intricacy that they took to make sure that the mouth was just right in the process. Again, that's way better than I would do. So, nailed it. And then I found this. And I was a little puzzled. So I was thinking, at the very least, poor SpongeBob could at least have square pants. Those are not square. His name is SpongeBob SquarePants, and I also have not seen this. But I at least know the name, and apparently they knew the name because they decided to make it, but they gave him some other kind of pants. And I would say, nailed it. Having a conception of a finished product does not ensure a perfect product. We have an end that we see as a desired goal, and then we plan out our steps, and sometimes things just don't go as planned. Why is that? Why, why is it that we have this concept? We, we want to accomplish this goal, and we plan out all the steps. Why is it that it doesn't always come out the way that we intend? Well, there's a very simple answer to that. We are not almighty, and we are not all-knowing. We are not almighty, and we are not all-knowing. There's an emphasis in Ecclesiastes 7 that we need to grasp. I've been studying over Ecclesiastes 7 for quite some time, trying to figure out what is the best way to communicate this. And it's, I consider it like a fight. I've been fighting with Ecclesiastes chapter 7 for quite some time, and it is winning. Ecclesiastes 7 is beating me. I admit, it's difficult. Uh, it's, it's difficult to see how everything fits together. Now, there is, there is a, a form of unity, and that is my goal this morning, and I, and I want to try to not be stressed myself. I really want to try to, to relax and enjoy worshiping God through the study of Ecclesiastes 7, trying to gain this essence that is here. There's an, an emphasis that we need to grasp. If you were to read Ecclesiastes 7 over and over again and, and really just try to let it yell to you, you would hear the words end. End. And you might hear scheme of things. And you might think the desired end or just the end, and the way to get there, the, the pathways through life, the challenges of life, the twists and turns of life. Verse 2 gives us a sense of this end. It says in verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end 
of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. The end of all mankind. Verse 8. Verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Verse 25. Verse 25. I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and to seek the scheme of things. Verse 27. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find what? The scheme of things. So here he is. He's trying to look at life. He's trying to look at the ins and outs of life, the the turns and twists, the ups and downs, the beginning and end of life to see what is this all about. From man's perspective, we have to learn lots of things along the way. But there's also an emphasis in Ecclesiastes 7 about something else related to this. And I'll draw your attention to verses 13 and 14. Consider not the scheme of God, not the plan of God. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked. Not consider God's attempts, but consider God's works. And just so you know, if God makes something crooked, you will not straighten it. No chance. Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made what? The one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So God has left us in this circumstance of vulnerability. He's left left us vulnerable. Why has He done this? Because we are. The circumstances of our lives will continuously point out the fact that we cannot control the end We cannot control the journey. We have little decisions we make here and there. We we do things here and there. But we do not control the, the ebbs and flows and the end. God lets us know that we are vulnerable because we are desperate for Him. Verse 18. Verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. We'll try to get a sense of what those things are as we study Ecclesiastes 7. But the the call here is to fear God. God is the one who can navigate us through the ebbs and flows. And then verse 29. See? This alone I have found. That God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. So as you look at the chapter, you might think this way. Here's my plan and here's what actually happens. This is my intention and here is reality. Here's my expectation and here's my Olaf. (laughs) Not so pretty. One of the ideas that is implied by this chapter is that the crooked elements of this life happen due to the fall. It takes all the way to the last verse to gather Solomon's thought on that. Again, verse 29. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright. God made man straight. God made man right. To do the right thing. Things, but they have sought out many schemes. Now that it happened back in the Garden of Eden, and it has been happening to every birth human since then, save one. Only one navigated through life sinless. Do you happen to know who he is? Yeah, you do. His name is Jesus. Sinlessly perfect in every way until sin was 
imputed to him that my sins might be forever removed. And all the righteous deeds that he performed are attributed to me as a gracious gift of God's grace in the, in the glorious theological truth known as justification by faith. God removes our sin and grants us righteousness. God made man upright. He has sought many schemes. This word upright is used in Deuteronomy 32.4 regarding the Lord. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So the word being used, God made man upright, is a reference that God uses about himself. We're talking about God making man the right way. It's used differently, but same concept in Deuteronomy 12, 28 this way. You'll see this on the screens to my left and right. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. So God made man upright. And though God made man upright, man has chosen various paths that are contrary to God's expressed will. It started in the Garden of Eden and has persisted to this day. Yes, we are sinners by birth. That is clearly attributed to us in Scripture but we are also very clearly sinners by choice. It's true of every man. It's true of every woman. It's true of every child that's ever been birthed except the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we live in a crooked world with crooked people. But what is so interesting in this chapter is that God takes some credit for the crookedness. Now, crookedness does not have to mean sin. Crookedness can mean the shapes that we don't like, the deviations of life that we don't like. God takes credit for some of those painful pathways we traverse in verses 13 and 14. Look at what it says again. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. We, we recognize that God ordained it to be so that elements of our lives would be challenging. This is not just attested to here in Ecclesiastes 7. It is attested to severally, but we're going to take a look at a couple of passages, please. Take a look at Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. So you're just taking a a slight right. You're going to go through Song of Solomon. You'll find a very large Isaiah and a very large Jeremiah. And you'll come to the book of Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 38. If you're following along one of our church Bibles, you'll find that on page 688. And if that's not good enough for you, can't find your way, can't find 688, be on the screens to my left and right. I want you to turn in your Bible... But I want you also to know that what I'm reading to you is from God's Word. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Good events and difficult events. Things we enjoy and things we don't much so much enjoy comes from the Lord. Job uttered these words to his wife while she was struggling through amazing tragedy. Her, her children were all just killed by weather patterns. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak. Listen, shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? things that are difficult. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Shall we receive only the blessings 
Oh, food every day, clothes every day, a car that works, a house that's painted, a house that's not leaking, a house that doesn't lose electricity. Oh, all these good things. God has blessed me, blessed me, blessed me. And it's true. But just because the electricity goes off doesn't mean that God didn't bless you. Just because the car doesn't work doesn't mean God didn't bless you. Just because there's no food on the table doesn't mean God didn't bless you. Just because you have cancer doesn't mean God didn't bless you. Just because your knee needs to be replaced doesn't mean God didn't bless you. Just because you're homebound doesn't mean that God hasn't blessed you. His his pathway for you might be different from someone else's, and, and I don't take that lightly in any way, shape, or form. But God's entrustments are God's blessings. And some of those entrustments, they're not our favorite. Not everything we receive is our favorite thing, but everything we receive is from the Lord. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. We've touched on this passage previously in our study of Ecclesiastes and in other studies as well. Romans 8, please look at verse 20 with me. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Who is this him? It's God. Futility. Difficulty. Challenge. You see, there's a segment of, I'm just going to call it churchianity if you don't mind. There's a segment of churchianity that only wants to see God as giving us good things. And if you trust Him enough and love Him enough and walk with Him enough and do enough good things, God will bless you abundantly. Call it the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's what what people like us call it. That's not what they would call it. I don't really know what they call it. I think they call it truth. Um, But it's not true. God sends adversity just like He sends joy. God sends adversity just like He sends good things. When you receive good at the hand of God, have joy, enjoy it, embrace it. Let it, let it resonate within your soul. This is good. God has given it to me. Thank you, Lord. And when you receive things that you think are bad, remember that they're from the hand of God. And consider, Lord, what, what do you want me to know? I know this life is not it. I know there's more. I don't like this. You don't have to like it, you know. You don't have to like the things that God sends your way. You just have to know Him through it. Know Him through the events. There is a coming day. There's a coming day. When all of the crookedness of the world and all of the crookedness of man are wiped away. And all things will be made new. All things will be made new. I want to tell you, this is just my opinion. It, it is a strong opinion. And I'm going to tell you why I believe, why, why my opinion is what I'm about to say. That day when all the crooked will be made straight is going to be way better than Eden. There are a lot of books talking about returning to Eden. And and I'm not criticizing them. They're good books. But Eden is nothing. Eden is like way second place to what's coming. It'll be many times better than Eden because it will not be a creation or simply a creation. It'll be a complete redemption. I want you to think about creation. And it's glorious, isn't it? When you think of creation, it, it points out to us and it, and, it, and it gives us the sense of God's wisdom. It gives us a sense of God's power. And it gives us a sense of God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, firmament shows His handiwork. We see this. The invisible things of earth are clearly seen, right? By the things which He has made. Even God's eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So we look at God's creation and we say, this is power and wisdom and glory and it's amazing. But I want to tell you that new creation, redemption, 
takes it a step further because God's wisdom is still displayed. God's power is still displayed. God's glory is still displayed. But in addition to those things, in addition to these glorious perfections, He adds His mercy into the mix. He adds His glorious grace into the mix. His long-suffering is felt in the redemption of people like me. He was patient with me, and He's patient with you. His long-suffering is displayed by redemption, and so also is His love on display. And so, while Eden is glorious, the new creation will far exceed, in my estimation, far exceed the glories of Eden. And it will expand and we will see more and more and realize and experience and joy in more and more of the character and nature and glory of eternal God. You see, the crooked makes the straight unfathomably greater than just straight. If everything always works out, You don't know what it means to feel loss. So you don't really know what you have. So many people just want the good things in life, but the good things in life get really boring. Ask Solomon. He is a testament to the realities of what he is speaking about. He had more money and more servants, and more privilege, and more wisdom, and more stature, and more everything than any of us could ever dream of, and he was an absolute wreck about life. And at the, in the waning days of his life, having learned a great deal about what it is to chase the wind, and to take a big, fat bite of an air burger, he said, this is not the way to go. There's nothing here for you. There's so much more for you. So, when you experience pain and turmoil, no, it is not without God's direct hand and direct purpose. Paul explains concerning the consummation of all things, when when everything is finally fulfilled fully in Christ, that God will ultimately be glorified. That day is coming. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, it's the end, at the, in the middle of uh, the resurrection chapter, but at the end of a little section where he's talking about the kingdom, he says this, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection or to him, listen, that God may be all in all. The day of consummation, God will be glorified at, to the fullest degree. He will be God of gods and Lord of lords, and and that will be on full display. He is God of God and Lord of lords right now. But that full display is coming. So this begs the question, couldn't we just skip all the pain and the suffering and the sorrow and just go straight to the good stuff? Couldn't we? Could God do that? Oh, so God can do whatever he wants. He's, he's God. So long as it is in accordance with his character and nature, he can do whatever he wants. But I want to tell you something. If that were the case, we would be missing out on something. I want you to think about this. This is very important, ladies and gentlemen, because if you're not in the midst of difficulty, difficulty is coming your way. Happy day. Happy Sunday. Aren't you glad you came? If you're not in the middle of difficulty, difficulty is coming your way. What are you going to do in the face of it? What are you going to do when there's no left-hand turn? That's right. Left for you. No right-hand turn, no left-hand turn out of it, and there's no high-tailing it out of there. What are you going to do? What do you do when you can't run away from it? Romans 8, we're already there. Look at verse 18, just two verses earlier. Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy or not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's a sense here in this, and it's going to be fuller explained and 
expanded upon in another reference we make in just a moment, there's an implication here that the suffering we experience now exponentially benefits us in the glory that we will receive or experience in the coming day. Pain now, glory later. Well, that's for sure. But more pain now, the more glorious glory is. How do we know? Well, 2 Corinthians 4 makes it even clearer than that. It says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, will you read it with me? It's on the screen. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the, the, what he says is light, doesn't feel light, light, momentary suffering or affliction. It's preparing us. It's preparing, it's preparing us for the future. And what was light and momentary now will be heavy and eternal and glorious later. So you want to go straight, straight to the good stuff. Well, first of all, you don't get to choose. So sorry. Secondly, you'd be missing out. You'd be missing out. I would be missing out. Why all of this suffering? Heaven will be better for us because of it. Heaven won't be better. <laughs> you can't get better than God and God's presence. But heaven will be better for us for all of the turmoil. How long does eternity last? Hmm. <laughs> How long does this life last? How long will your pain and suffering last? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you know that there's going to be a day that the pain and suffering will come to an end. Now Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is going to express to us in a unique way the value of the wisdom that comes through this life. Ecclesiastes 7 is going to express to us in a unique way the value of the wisdom that comes to us through this life. Head back to Ecclesiastes 7. He starts on this idea right in verse 1 where he writes, A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. A good name has to do with our reputation and a precious ointment is something valuable. So our reputation is more important than costly materials. Our reputation we have to understand, is forged through wisdom or foolishness, right? Our, our reputation is demonstrated. It's earned through wisdom or foolishness. Wisdom is more important than money, the same way that the end of things is more important than the beginning of things. So he uses this, uh, this comparison, death and birth, death and birth. All right? Well, birth is fun, isn't it? As you see this child, you think, what could be? What could be? Who will they be? What will their personality be like? How quickly will they learn their charts? What kind of charisma will they have? Will they conquer the world? Will they come to know Christ? Will they serve the King? Will they spend eternity with God? What could be? Well, death, this is what really was. Question marks are gone. Oh, he lived it out, and this is who he was. This is what he was like. There's no question anymore. A good reputation is just as, more, just as uh, a, a, a better scenario over ointment, fine ointment, than knowing the end rather than guessing at it, essentially. As we take a brief survey, and it will be brief, don't panic. I know you're thinking, wait a second, He's in verse 1. <laughs> what are we doing here? Don't panic. We take a brief survey of the contents of this chapter. We want to see 
that there is wisdom to be gained. There is wisdom to be gained during the days of this crooked life we live. There is wisdom to be gained during the days of this crooked life that we live. We will first notice in verses 1 through 4 that wisdom is gained through difficulty. Wisdom is gained through difficulty. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death and the day of birth. It is better, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the house of fools is in the house of mirth. Why is the day of death better than the day of birth? Because of what we learn. Verse 2 It says, when we go to the house of mourning, we learn to lay to heart the brevity of life and the reality that everyone dies. Have you met anyone who reached the age of 500? I I went through, I went far, okay? Someone might say, well, I know a guy that made it to 140. You know, whatever that... uh, mysterious guy is. I know a guy named Methuselah. He made it to 669, but I never met him. Everyone is going to die. That is a fact that this life reiterates to us regularly. The wise lay it to heart. Moses penned these words in Psalm 90 and verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get or gain a heart of wisdom. So going to the house of mourning teaches us a lot more than a party. It teaches a lot more than a fifth birthday party or a seventh birthday party or a sweet 16 or a, oh, he's 18, he's an adult now, he can make decisions to smoke and everything. Oh, now he's 21, he can, he can imbibe some alcohol now, let's, let's really celebrate this. You know, the the, the fe- feasting and the festivities, what, what is to be learned? Like it's fun. It's fun to get together, right? I enjoy parties, depending on what's going on there. Depends on who's there, I guess. Uh, depends on what the, what the purpose of the thing is. But, like, it's fun, but what do you learn from it? Nothing like what you learn when you go to the house of death. There's wisdom to be gained. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. For by sorrow of face, the heart is made glad. It's an interesting expression. By sadness of face, the heart is made, that could be translated this way, well. While laughter does do good like a medicine, it doesn't generally teach us as much as sorrow. You can try to whistle by the graveyard, but you still know the reality of the gravestones and that they're at the head of what lies beneath. Solomon tells us that sadness of face makes the heart well. When you're at the bottom, there's only one direction to go. Right? And so, as we know the depth of difficulty, the Lord can give us cheer in our soul because we know it's got to get better than this. And the reality is we know some things that give us confidence that there are better things than this. You see, the more we cling on to this life and the things of this life, the more we're going to find ourselves miserly, hoarding, and cranky. And the more we learn to let go and realize that this life is a lot about a lot more than the possession I have, it's a lot more than keeping my body fit, It's a lot more than lasting a long time. This life is about preparing for what lies ahead. Verse 4, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Because wisdom is gained through pain and suffering, the wise will recognize the value of pain and suffering. I'll list a few verses on the, the screen for your consideration later. James 1, 1 Peter 1, Romans 5. These will help us as we navigate through difficulties in our lives. Wisdom is gained through difficulty. Secondly, 
Wisdom is gained through real friends. Wisdom is gained through real friends. Verses 5 and 6. Look what he says. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. In other words, it's better to have a friend who's going to tell you the real truth, tell you something uncomfortable that might, might bother you a little bit, that will benefit you in the long run, than to have a, a buddy, a silly buddy, who's going to say, hey, everything's fine, and he'll sing these great songs, and he's got these, these funny jokes, and you guys can go party together and do all kinds of silliness together. Oh, he might be a, a, a hoot to be with, but what value added is there? He's like the thorns that you put under the pot. What do you use um, the fine sticks for? Are you going to keep that pot lit for a long time? You have to keep going and get more and more and more and more. There's no way to really sustain a fire with just the crackling thorns. They're too flimsy and they, they're, they're dried out and they don't sustain a fire. You need real logs for that. This is just like you put those on there to, to help the thing get going and then let it, let it catch something that's going to sustain the fire. The thorns don't sustain a fire. They don't have value added. Might be a little fun, but no gain. Wisdom is gained through real friends. Look a little further. Wisdom is gained through patience. Verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Better is the end, better to be patient. Pretty clear. Verse 9. Don't be quick or be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the hearts or the heart of fools. So he's talking about about not reacting to things. You know how anger works, right? Something happens and you feel it. You can feel it, right? You feel it inside of you. And if you're not walking in the spirit, or you're not cognizant of the sinfulness of anger, you'll let that thing come up and it will spill out to wrath and malice. Right? Anger. It lodges in the hearts of fools. Wisdom says, simmer down there, buddy. Wait. There's more. Don't react. There's an end. There's an end. Be patient. Verse 10, stop looking back. Stop looking back. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Stop trying to live the glory years. Stop trying to get back to that feeling spiritually, physically, emotionally, that, oh, when, 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 we, when we were in this situation, everything was so much better. Oh, I'm going to go back to it. No, no, that's not what wisdom. Wisdom says onward and upward, onward and upward. Patient, wait. Let's see what the Lord has to say. Remember, you're not going to straighten out what he made crooked. Let him do his work. Follow him. Verses 11 and 12. Wisdom is that is gained protects us. Wisdom is good, or wisdom as an inheritance is an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So the essence here is wisdom that is gained protects us. So wisdom is gained through patience. Wisdom is gained through real friends. Wisdom is gained through difficulties. Fourth, wisdom is gained through theology. Wisdom is gained through theology. Consider the work of God, verse 13. Who can make straight what he has made crooked in the day of prosperity? Be joyful in the day of adversity. Consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out uh, anything that will be after him. Knowing who is controlling our lives. Knowing who is allowing affliction upon us. Knowing God and his ways. This provides the greatest wisdom for this life. To know him. To know him so intimately that no matter what happens in your life, no matter how deep the pain, challenging the circumstance, deep the frustration, 
knowing that he is God. This will sustain you because you know who rules over your life. Wisdom comes through theology. Fifthly, wisdom is gained through the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. Verse 20, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bop around in this section very quickly for just a moment. Verse 20, very important statement, which is why we're skipping to it. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do you believe that? That's necessary information for me before I read verse 15. Okay? Because verse 15 is confusing if not seen in the right light. But verse 20, good luck if you think you're going to be the first sinless person outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 15 and 16 essentially is going to say being overly righteous and overly wise will not gain you the outcome you're looking for. Verse 15, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his days in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Well, that's confusing. But not if you see it in the proper light. He's going to tell us in verse 20, you will not be sinless. You are not sinless. Your righteousness accrued that you're speaking of is is not the righteousness that God speaks of. This is a self-righteousness. And the the wisdom is a a self-wisdom. But he also says in verse 17, don't go in the other direction Either. Don't say, well, I'll just quit because I can't, I can't be righteous enough and I can't be wise enough. It's not going to work out. Verse 17, be not overly wicked, nor be a fool. Why should you die before your time? In other words, even though sometimes the righteous receive wicked rewards and the wicked receive righteous rewards, don't be righteous thinking you're going to avoid it. Don't be wise thinking you're going to avoid it. But, but that doesn't mean, folks, just be a fool and live without restraint. Don't, don't think, well, I'm just going to live wickedly then. He says, don't do that. Why do you want to bring about a, a swift end to your life? So he's, he's giving us a balanced approach. Verse 18 really puts the, the nail in it. Verse 18, it is good that you should take hold of this. And from this, that, withdraw not your hand. For the one who fears God will come out of both of them. That's tricky. Right now we don't have time to dive into the nitty gritty of it. Just know this. The righteous receives wicked rewards. The wicked receives righteous rewards. Don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wicked. Don't be overly uh, foolish. Don't be overly wise. You know what you can do? Walk with the Lord. Love the Lord. Stop stressing so much. You're freaking me out. You're stressing me out. Stop being so stressed. Everything is stressing in. Burden, 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 burden. You're going to drive yourself and everyone around you nuts. Trust the Lord. He's going to deliver you from all of the nonsense. Wisdom is gained through the fear of God. And then, as you come to the end of this Chapter, wisdom is elusive. Elusive. Trying to grab it. <laughs> Trying to grab it. I got it. I got it. Nope, don't got it. Nope, I'm never going to get it. Not quite. Verses 21 to 29, we're just, we just have to hit and move here. 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. What does he say now? But it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Now, who's the penman here so far as you know? Is he smarter than you? Is he smarter than me? Yes. The smartest man that ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus, who had perfect wisdom and is wisdom personified, right? And he says, I tried to figure all this stuff out. Nope, couldn't do it. Wisdom is elusive. Verses 25 through 27. 
I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And and I found something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and, and nets and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. Trying to figure out how life works. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but it's, it's elusive. I'm going to find it. I'll find it in my, my sweetheart. You have a sweetheart? That's, that's New England for you. I'm going to find it in my sweetheart. Verse 28. Oh, verse 28. Which my soul has sought repeatedly, but have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Um, next. <laughs> I told my wife, uh, we're going to spend most of, the, most of this morning's service on verse 28. Oh, all right, that's fine. I said, read it. <laughs> this poor guy, and I really don't know, honestly, what Solomon's talking about here, but... I'm just being honest. I have no idea what he's talking about in verse 28. But just to give it a stab, he had a thousand women, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and he was not satisfied. Um, Looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) Wisdom is elusive. The wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth lived as a fool in so many ways. And so do we. So do we. Wisdom is elusive. Verse 29. See this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The problem with man is that man has his own agenda. I, I at times have my own agenda. You, at times, you have your own agenda. We, have our own agenda. This is our real problem. It's not, it's not God. We know that our lives will end well. If you're a believer, you know your life will end well. The Bible tells us that we'll stand before God one day. That is the end. That's the end. How do we prepare for the end? You know, I, I, if you don't, I want to tell you, only righteousness and righteous ones will dwell in heaven with God. And Solomon already told us in verse 20 that that's not any of us. None of us are without sin. We could try really hard every day of our lives. Obedience is the very best way, you know. We try every day to live our lives to reach God's standard of righteousness but we will utterly fail. You know, epic failures on Pinterest with food are pretty funny. Look at the teeth on this thing. Look at that. That is, that is spectacular. But look at the teeth. You could stare at that thing all day long. It's a thing of beauty. It's an epic failure. I nailed it! It's funny when it is regarding food failures. But failing to meet the righteous demands of God's law is not funny. It's damning. So the Bible calls us to repentance because we know that there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. We need to admit our sin before God. We need to realize the consequences of our sin. We need to turn to the only one who can change our crookedness to straightness. And we know that that is God through the work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was not only made upright, He lived righteously every moment of His life. And then He laid down His life as a satisfying, wrath-removing sacrifice for sin. Have you turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation? 
If not, you must do so today. Believer, as you go through this life, do not try to avoid difficulty and the hard things because they provide wisdom for the journey which Solomon says protects us. Believer, seek good friends who are willing to speak hard truths into your life. The silly buddy's laughter will burn away uselessly. Believer, look to the end. Look to the end. It will help you avoid being corrupted by bribes, outbursts of anger, and living in the past. Finally, believer, know that God ordains good things and difficult things in your life. You don't have to like every experience, but you need to remember who entrusted you with life's circumstances. He entrusts you. And while He entrusts you, He walks with you. And He grants you the grace and comfort that you need at the moment you need it. Embrace the ways, the works, and the will of God. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you teach us. You teach us through ways that we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, always choose for ourselves. Thank you that you reveal to us who you are and how you operate. I pray that each believer in this room would, would seek to yield we would seek to yield ourselves to you and to your wisdom and to your word. That we would see your ways being formed in us by your spirit. We pray for any believer, any unbeliever here, that even, even in this, these moments, they would unmistakably hear the call, the call to come, the call to turn from their sin the call to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.